0: Go ahead and have a seat. My name is Carl Hetler, and uh, with my family, we are all in here at the Living Stones Church, and we are continuing our series on the book of Ephesians, talking about the superhero life and the kind of power that God has available for us. So as we get started, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for today, for this beautiful weather you've given us, for the chance we've had to gather together to sing songs of praise to you, to remember your sacrifice at communion, and now, Lord, to hear your word. So, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Let's start with a little audience participation here. We have gathered here in this building on Donmore Avenue. How many people live on the south side of South Bend? Raise your hand if you're on the south side. All right, that's pretty good, pretty good. How many people come from some other parts of uh, South Bend? Maybe east side, west side, all right. And then from outside South Bend. Okay, now, that's pretty impressive when you think about that. That here we have people who are gathered in one location, and we come from all different parts of the city and outside the city as well. So let's try something else. How many people here are single? Raise your hand if you're single. Okay, we got some singles, okay. Guys, don't start checking out the ladies, okay. I don't want you, that's, not that, that's not the point. How many have a young children here? Young children, got young kids, okay. Some others. How many people are nearing retirement, or hopefully retirement, if the economy doesn't collapse? Okay, a couple. Okay, okay, I understand the situation we're in here. Now, that's impressive as well, because think about that. Here we are, gathered in one location, all at different life stages that we come from, different places we live, yet something has gathered us together and brought us together. It's called the power of togetherness. And it's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning, this idea that we can come together and that God can do some pretty incredible things. Uh, Up until the 1960s, uh, most comic book heroes were these idealized superheroes who never made any mistakes. Even the the first team of superheroes, the the Justice League, was all perfect superheroes who got along great in solving all the problems that they had. But Stan Lee, who created the Spider-Man comics that we talked about last week, came around and he thought there should really be a team of superheroes that were more like us, like ordinary people, because... We have dysfunctions, we have arguments, we get into fights, and Stan Lee wanted to have a a team of superheroes who had problems, who had to work through the differences. And so that's when he came up with in 1961, the Fantastic Four. You see a picture of one of the original uh, comics of how they looked. And you had this team of astronauts that went into space and were exposed as cosmic radiation and suddenly were incredibly trained. There was Mr. Fantastic. There was his wife who could, who could stretch. But then you also had her younger brother, who, the, the Torch, who was this brash and arrogant youngster. Because up until that point, all the superhero sidekicks had been like Robin, you know, perfect, compliant, always doing what was asked of them. But that changed with the Torch. And then you had their, their college friend who was transformed into this thing this grumpy, disagreeable, animosity guy who caused problems all the time. This was a dysfunctional family of superheroes. They had this common experience. They had some supernatural powers, and yet they had a lot of issues that they had to work through as well. And when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he's dealing with a group of people who had similar dysfunctions. They came from different cultures and different classes, even different religious backgrounds as well, and yet... God had brought them together in one place. And Paul wanted to explain to them how they could experience this power of togetherness, a power that not only would gather them in one place, but transform their lives as well. It's a process of gathering, believing, serving, and then growing. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2 and trace this idea of togetherness through chapter 2 and chapter 4 to see How this happens, how the power of Christ can bring togetherness to people who are radically different and sometimes disagreeable. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. If you have a Bible you want to open up, otherwise you can follow on the screen behind me. This is what Paul says to this group of people. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. This is a bridge from last week when we talked about the incomparable power that God has available, a power that has no comparison, that has no equal. And this power Paul is saying here has been displayed in the blood of Jesus, verse 13. It's this blood, this a sacrifice of this man God who has done something incomparable, never before seen. It's the power to gather people together who are different. This is what We celebrate at communion, this precious blood poured out for us that gathers us together. And it means that if there is this power that is gathering us together, it has the power to transform all aspects of our lives. It gets risky, as Sam said last week. It's risky to let this power of God gather with other people where you don't quite know if this is your first time, what exactly is going to happen, or if it's your hundredth or thousandth time. What exactly God's going to do and who God is going to sit down next to you in those chairs. There's a risk in gathering together and leaving your safety and coming to a place where people have come from different parts of town, different life stages, and yet God is gathering us together. And Sam challenged us last week to take a risk, to step out on God's power. And maybe you had an opportunity this week that God brought someone in your path where you had the chance to trust God and step out and take a risk. There are risks to to bridging the cultural divides that Paul talks about here in Ephesians chapter 2. This past week, uh, I decided I wanted to reach out to one of our new neighbors on our street and invite her kids over to go swimming in our pool. It was risky because I didn't know if the kids had swimming suits at all. They didn't. They had to wear some of their clothes. I didn't know how the kids were going to act in the pool. They ended up not being any more crazy than my own kids. But it was an opportunity to take a risk, to step out, to invite someone and to let God's power start to work to build a relationship, to build some sense of togetherness. Things will get broken. There will be timeouts needed, I'm sure, this summer. But it's the blood of Christ that covers even those small slights as well. The big issue that Paul was dealing with was these Jews and Gentiles. Now, these are terms that we don't even use anymore today, but we can understand what it means when there's cultural barriers, when there's differences. Paul's telling them that now that they are to gather together to accept each other. It starts with requiring all of us to accept the fact that we were once far far off. All of us, no matter what your station in life, we all at one point were distant from God, separate from God. And when we can accept that and admit that, it allows us to then start forming some bonds of togetherness with those we gather with as well. If we ever think because of our race, our background, or our economic status, that we're favored somehow, then that resists the power of Christ's togetherness. There's no culture which is favored by God. I've had to learn to address my own racism, not towards African Americans or Hispanics, because I grew up around those cultures in California. But moving here to Indiana, for me, it's been the small-town, NASCAR-loving truck driver. I've had to come to peace with those that I might want to look down on. That's the power of Christ working on togetherness. And Paul repeats this idea of peace twice. In verse 14 as well as verse 15, he talks about the importance of peace. And we've talked about peace before. It's not the the absence of conflict, but much more than that. Peace is a wholeness, a loving relationship between people. And it's all the more amazing we consider that these are people from different cultures who had animosities, who had differences, who had distrust. And yet Paul is saying there is a peace that when you gather together, binds you together in community. Consider the peace that it takes to heal wounds, to end distrust, to overcome differences. That's the power of Christ, bringing people together, where people can be honest with each other, praying for each other, laughing with each other. Eating with each other, playing, resting together, that's what peace looks like. And that's the power of Christ, gathering people together. And so racial reconciliation is something that more and more Christians are talking about in today's world as we live in a more diverse society. My dissertation work is trying to look at how, in fact, Christians' lives improve as we learn from Christians from other cultures that's actually beneficial for us as we try to follow Jesus to learn from Christians from other cultures. Sam gave us a great example at the start of our time together this morning, talking about an African-American church in in, uh, Colorado and how it is that we can learn from other experiences. I grew up Presbyterian, and we were appropriately known as the frozen chosen because we just sat there and read our hymns like, Come Thou Fount, with just an organ, and that was it. But when we learn from other Christians about other ways to worship, We understand that worship is more than just being orderly and precise. But worship is also meant to be energetic. Worship is also meant to be ongoing, sometimes more than 30 minutes, sometimes it's an hour or two. And worship is also supposed to carry and involve our whole bodies, not just our mouths. And so when we engage with Christians from other cultures, we can learn about that and develop that because God's power is bringing people together. One of my favorite authors is Philip Yancey, who grew up in the South in the 20th century. And he didn't think that there was any problem whatsoever with segregation. That's the way life was. But once he moved to the north and had uh, roommates in college from other cultures and started reading the Bible for himself, he realized that segregation was not God's plan. And so he had to go through a process of repenting of his racism. And he spent his life interviewing Christians from different cultures, learning from other Christians, and sharing that with millions of others through his writings. So that we all might recognize that God's plan, his power of togetherness, is to gather Christians from different cultures together, as Paul is talking about here, to break down the walls that separate us, that we construct outside in society, and our cultures, and allow God's power to be at work, bringing us together. But it requires a power from God to overcome the anger, the resentment, the prejudices that we naturally have, that come with, with being human. But together in Christ empowers us to overcome these barriers. Whether it's culture, class, or life stage, the superhero life is connected to God's power. So if you feel disconnected today, lacking this togetherness I'm talking about, I want to encourage you, simply have a conversation with someone else who's gathered here today. They may come from a different culture, or they may not look any different from you. But I'm sure there's someone here who has different views, and perspectives that either you disagree with or can't even stand to listen to. But if we're willing to listen to each other, to hear each other's stories of transformation, to hear what what God is doing, and to learn from different perspectives, God's power begins to be at work, drawing us together. Because while we can be in this room together, it's very easy for us to all live separate lives. You can come and sit and then go and never see a change. If you want to experience the superhero life, the power that God has available, the power of reading about all month in Ephesians, it requires opening ourselves up. It requires maybe just having a conversation with someone and listening to someone else's story. Because Jews and Gentiles were coming together in Ephesus, and they lived there side by side. But there was more that they held in common than simply living in the same zip code, the same part of town. We've gathered from all different parts of of Michiana, South Bend and beyond, And I was thinking about some of the different religious backgrounds that we all come from. Just off the top of my head, I came up with Presbyterian and Methodist, Church of Christ for many, Baptist, Catholic, Church of God in Christ, or maybe non-denominational. So what do we all have in common, given that we come from different places and we have had different experiences? What is it that we share? Well, let's look at chapter four of Ephesians. We're going to scroll down to verse two. And see what Paul says about what holds people together. That even as we gather together, there are common beliefs that we share as well. Ephesians chapter 4, now in verse 2. Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now here's his list of ones. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's saying we have to make every effort. He is exhorting. He is beseeching. He is almost demanding. This is not an, an optional choice that we have. This is not something that some people can try, decide to do when they feel like it, and if you don't feel like it, don't worry about it. Paul's saying this is what the life together for Christians looks like, being together, sharing a life together. And so we can even gather here from various backgrounds and various religious experiences that we've all had and yet still affirm some common core beliefs. Uh, if you've been through Discovery class, you've probably got a packet uh, like I did uh, where it talks about um, the essence of Christianity. And Sam and the elders have actually done a great job of going through and figuring out what are the basics that we can hold to? What are the orthodox teachings that have been down for the past 2,000 years that we can, as Christians from various backgrounds, agree on? Because we don't want to be fighting and arguing over everything, but we want to be united together. Amen? Amen. And so if you want to, if you have one of these, you can read through all the details. If this is something you want to learn more about, talk to Pastor Sam. He would love to give you some more information about what are all the common core beliefs that we hold as we come together, believing together. Uh, there's one that I just want to hit here in this passage of Ephesians 4, and that is this idea that, that God is, is Trinity. You see the references to one spirit and one Lord and one Father. There is a a togetherness that we have that is based in in who God is and God's identity. We have a common past together, forgiven by Jesus. We have a common present moment together, living in the power of the Spirit. And we have a common future as well together, being with the Father, Son, and Spirit for for the rest of time and throughout eternity. And that is based on understanding who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is God divided? I need an answer. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Does the Father complain about the Son? No. Is the Son jealous of the Spirit? Does the Spirit ignore the Father? No. The, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why the idea that Trinity is so important is because it's this perfect picture of togetherness, of what it looks like for God himself to be interconnected, to be relational, to be interdependent, to be loving and caring in himself and in who he is. When Americans say, uh, one nation under God, or in God we trust, it can mean a lot of different things to what that, that God is. And that's why the Christian understanding of God is, to use a theological word, uh, Trinitarian, which speaks to this idea of community, of relationship. The power of the superhero life comes from our togetherness, and it's rooted in God, in his character, in, in who he is, and simply his identity. And So not only does it lead us to understand togetherness as community, as relationship, but also as one of sacrifice and presence. Now, this leaves room for disagreements. We can disagree on some of the, the minor things, like, for example, when Jesus is going to return and what that's going to look like. But we also have that same hope that Paul's talking about here. One hope. I long for the day when there are no more tears or fears. No more sadness and madness. An end to the war and always wanting more. A stop to the fighting and the self riding A quit of the pain and the blame till the end of time with no more rhymes. There's an often repeated phrase from the last couple centuries that Christians have used as Places like Europe have exploded in war as different Christian tribes fight with each other over minor points of doctrine and theology. And whole nations have been carved up because of this. And so this this phrase was coined, In essentials, unity. In doubtful matters, liberty. In all things, charity. It's a lofty ideal that the church hasn't often lived up to. But it's what it looks like to believe together. In essentials, unity in doubtful matters, liberty, in all things, charity. One of the earliest formulations of the Christian faith, of what we believe together was called the Apostles' Creed. It was came up with a couple hundred years after the, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And try tried to encapsulate, what can we as believers who are spread out across the Mediterranean world, what can we affirm together? What do we believe together? And I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to reflect on this and and read it together. So if you want to read out loud with me, uh, feel free to do so. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Amen. Yeah, I tried to modernize some of those words to get a clear picture of uh, what's that about. But some of that liturgy comes back uh, to me and maybe to you as well. But those creeds, those statements are important because they are concise. And they remind us of what are the fundamentals. What am I willing to die for? What am I willing to fight for? What am I willing to argue about that I believe really holds us together as a community? It's more than simply the gathering but it's the believing as well that we share together. And if you look back at verse uh, 2 of chapter 4, you see how this requires a change in our character, how it doesn't come natural to us. As humans, we like to divide and segregate, segregate and segment. Look at verse 2, and you see the qualities that need to develop, the power of Christ that needs to transform us if we are going to be together in what we believe. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Once you've experienced the the power of togetherness, the beauty of togetherness, you'll fight to be able to keep it. It means we hold firm to what we share, and we practice graciousness over the smaller issues when we don't agree. It means not trying to change someone's mind if they've come to their own conclusion. There's power to unite us even when we don't always see eye to eye. That's the power of togetherness. Togetherness starts with gathering. Its foundation is in what we believe, but then it goes beyond that as well. Uh, Look around the facilities for a minute and consider all the different skills and services that go on. You have all the instruments upstage here that are different people who have skills and abilities to engage us in worship and to encourage us to worship God. If you look down, hopefully you'll see that your uh, floor is clean because people came in in between services and served by cleaning up all the paper cups uh, and other things that were left over from the first service. If you look to the back, you see our audiovisual guys back there making sure everything sounds good and all the sl- slides are in the right order, using their gifts and skills as well. If you were at the coffee bar when you came in, there were people there serving you, giving you something to drink and getting you uh, ready and maybe energized for our time together. And if you had kids, you dropped them off way in the back, where there are over a dozen people now serving, taking care of our kids, teaching them about faith. Lots of different places where people have been serving, and that's the power of togetherness. Uh, Look at, scroll down to verse 11 of uh, of Ephesians chapter 4, you see how Jesus does this. It says, "...it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers." And here's the point of it all, verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. God gives skills and abilities to every person that he brings to this place of togetherness. If you're following Christ, if you hold to those common beliefs that bind us together, God has given you abilities and skills to use. Uh, Verse 11 details some of those opportunities and ways that people serve in a local church, but they're not all. If you want to see more of the full list, check out uh, Romans chapter 12 and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to get a fuller list of all the different ways that God equips people and gives them these gifts for service. But here just in verse 11, you start to see some of the different ways that people serve, the different actions that you can do to serve others, the different attitudes that people have as as we serve, and even the different motivations that we have to to care for others and, and, and meet their needs. But what they all have in common is there is a supernatural empowerment. It's the power of Christ that allows us to serve together. So what are you good at? Can you identify how God has, has given you a gift, an ability, a skill? The teamwork video that we saw at the start of our time together uh, gave an, an auditory picture of how beautiful it sounds when different voices, different tempos, different abilities come together to sound the same. Now, we don't have their cloning technology here today. So we can't take Sam and Greg and just clone them so that their clones and copies will do all the work around the church of what needs to be done. No, God has empowered each and every one of us with different skills and abilities so that we can serve each other. Uh, back in, in verse 8, it talks about Jesus' resurrection. And it uses another verse from a Psalm 68, uh, from where uh, Jim had mentioned during communion, to talk about this victory song of Jesus as a triumphant one, who has risen from the grave and is now glorious. And like a king coming back from battle, he's got all of his conquests trailing behind him, and everyone is gathered to praise this king, this, this risen Lord who is ruling. But the switch that Paul makes is that instead of people giving gifts to this king and giving his their adulation, their, their praise, their acclaim to the king, now it's actually the king who is giving gifts to the people. It is the king out of his generosity, out of his grace, out of his power, who is giving gifts, skills, and abilities to others. It's like a real-life Santa Claus. Now, I know we're six months away from Christmas, so forgive me, but notice the difference here between Santa Claus and God. God doesn't give us gifts to make our own lives easier. He doesn't give us gifts to isolate us from others. And he doesn't give us gifts to take advantage of the labor of others. No, God gives gifts to strengthen and empower our togetherness. To take those who are gathering and believing together and allow them to serve each other as well. That takes the power of Christ. It means then, when you, once you've identified your gift, that there's really no reason to boast at all. I mean, you can't boast, first of all, because it's a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't necessarily even work for it, but something God has given you. That's the ability that he's allowed to develop, to nurture within you. It's something that he has done for you. And there's no reason to boast because everyone's got something. It's not like you're special. Every one of us has been given different ways that we can serve others. And there's no reason to boast because it's meant for others as well. It's not meant to get the praise from others. It's not meant to get pats on the back. It's meant to care for others. Uh, For me, I'm actually not a very good public speaker. When I've had to publicly speak uh, in the past, I often stutter, I get sweaty palms, my heart's pounding, I just don't really enjoy it. But something different happens when I'm handling God's word. It gives me a confidence and and a motivation and a clarity that I don't otherwise have. But this is a gift meant for others. So when you tell me later, well done, or maybe if you tell me later, well done, just know that it's purpose is to encourage others it's out of service building others up and it needs to be the same for you as well we need each other you need you and you need you and and the guy in the back you need the people up front we depend on each other to serve each other and care for each other so who are you serving Who has God placed on your heart? Who gets your time, your energy, your prayers? If you're following Christ, a part of this togetherness, that power extends to giving you a a role for service. We need you. And the power of Christ is building us together. Now, it's possible uh, that you could get, get burnt out if we don't have a larger purpose in mind. There are so many people and so many problems that you can get overwhelmed, frustrated, discouraged, and aimless. So Paul wraps up this section by telling us that the point of our togetherness. What's the point of gathering together people? What's the point of people having common beliefs? What's really even the point of people serving each other if there's not some goal in mind? And so Paul tells us what the superhero life looks like. Part of the longevity of the Fantastic Four, why they've lasted for 50 years, is because they don't change. The characters have the same problems and foibles. They keep making the same mistakes, arguing with each other, having the same personality quirks. And so it makes for a great comic book story, and they're fun to read. But I think it would make for a pretty frustrating life to keep making the same mistakes over and over again and to never see any change. So here's where Paul ends. Look down at verse 14. As each part does its work, when we start on our walk of following Jesus maybe some of you are in that place today it's appropriate to be treated like infants, to be nurtured and protected, to be watched over and cared for. But no one wants to stay a baby forever. Just as a human, you would hate for your kids to remain as babies, never growing up, you to take care of themselves. So it is God's plan for us is to mature and to grow. We can't stay in that baby state forever. Jesus wants us to grow and mature, not only to stay connected, but to start looking more like him. That's our goal. That's our our end result. I grew up in California, and when I started following Jesus, I listened to this guy on the radio, uh, Harold Camping. Great Bible teacher. Knew his Bible forwards and backwards. Knew all these different connections, all these verses he had memorized. Really insightful guy. But I eventually started reading the Bible for myself. And started checking out what he had to say. And some of the things didn't start to make very good sense to me. So, for example, in 1994, when he said the world was going to end and then it didn't, kind of wondered what was going on. And then when he said, well, you could stop going to church, that the church age has ended. You could just stay home and listen to him on the radio. That didn't make a lot of sense either. If you don't grow up and learn to start feeding yourself, you can remain a baby and be misled by others by people who can twist scripture if you don't learn to read for yourself. And so I hope that everything I've said here today, you will check against scripture because the goal is for you to mature and grow up, to find the encouragement and strength from others as you mature, and then be able to serve and, and encourage others and pass that along and check things out for yourself. The culmination of our coming together is finding our identity in Christ. That's the superhero life. The power of Christ, which brings us together, unites us in belief, and empowers us for service, and finally changes us to look like Jesus. That's the power of togetherness. Bringing us together, uniting us in belief, empowering us for service, and finally changing us to look like Jesus. And this is the purpose of discipleship. Whatever you want to, to cut it and call it, this is what it involves.